The devil always try to get you right at the last minute. I'm going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Because the Lord and I have been on a day-by-day, sometimes hour-by-hour quest, if you will, to stay. I'm not going to say stay one step ahead of the devil because we've already defeated him. But to stay ahead of what he would try to do to sabotage the blessing of God. I'm going to take a little segue here, and then I'll come back to my main message. I'm going to really, 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 tonight's the night, y'all. I'm going to really try to get to this sewing thing. <laughs> I'm going to try. But I'm going to take this little rabbit trail first, and we'll see how big this rabbit is. The Lord, I was in prayer, uh, I want to say yesterday, and we were talking about the blessing. And he gave me this, this beautiful image of what the blessing is like and what being blessed is like. Uh, so go with me on this, and this, this will bless you. This will help you. Everywhere that you can go in the city, pick a city. We're in the city of Norfolk, so let's say Norfolk. There's a road to get there. Every hospital, every restaurant, every home, every hotel, every gas station, there's a road that was paved and planned to take you from the front door of your house to the front door of every place you care about going in the entire city. There's a road. The reason there's a road is because when the city was planned, when, when they planned, we're going to build a hospital here, we're going to build a hotel here. When they build new buildings, they add new roads to get there. The reason is because there's a cursed path and then there's a blessed path. And I might have to make a series out of this. The Lord's been talking to me about this a little bit, but he said, share this little piece of it. About staying on the blessed path. You see, when we talk about the blessing of God, what we have to, one thing that I think we miss, one element of the blessing that I think we misunderstand is the responsibility of rebuking the devourers on God. In Malachi 3, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you and he will not destroy, if you're under the blessing. But the reason you're under the blessing is because you're on the blessed path. And the blessed path is a path that is planned in advance by the designer to take you from where you are to where you want to go. Behind my home is a bunch of woods, trees. Right? Now, on the other side of those woods, I'm sure there's something of interest to me. I know there's a school on one side, okay? If I want to go to that school, I have two options. I can get on the road, drive or walk the road, and take the path that was planned and end up right at the front of that school. Or I can hop the fence cross my way through the woods, 
might get attacked by some squirrels, some raccoons, fall into some mud, get cut up on some briar patches. Who knows what's in those woods? My destination can be the same in my mind. My destination, I can have the same idea, the same goal. But there's a path that's planned and purposed to take me to where I want to be. And because that path has been planned and purposed, everything that would devour me on that road has already been removed. If you go back far enough in history to the beginning of the state of Virginia, or even before then, when this was just woods, there were bears, mountain lions, snakes, all kinds of creatures that could harm you or would hurt you or eat you. And somebody came along and got rid of all those animals and then paved roads to get from one place to the other so that you wouldn't have to fight a bear every time you need to go to the supermarket. <laughs> because if every time you had to go to Ter the Harris Teeter or Kroger or Walmart or Food Lion, you had to contend with the threat of a bear or a lion, you'd never go. Or you'd be strapped up when you go, one of the two. But because they want you to go to Food Lion, Food Lion wants you to show up and get all the food you want, they blessed a path for you. And they made themselves responsible for removing everything on that path that would devour your effort to receive what's yours. Because that's what the blessing is. It's God's power to prosper, but it's manifested as we stay on the blessed path. The path has rules. Don't the road have rules on it? It's got signs, it's got lines in the road. Now, some people would argue that if I take the shortest route, cut through the woods, I'll get there faster. But you risk not getting there at all. Because they thought of that when they made the road. They said, okay, we could just cut through here, but there's danger here. There's things here we don't want to contend with. This path will take you a little bit longer, but you'll be safe. And there's a guaranteed end on this path. You don't even have to really know where you're going because we put signs to tell you where you are and where you're going. All you got to do is stay on that path. The challenge of faith for most people is staying on the blessed path. Because we'll start and the speed limit will say 45 and we want to go 75. So we start speeding up, and we run into an obstacle, or we get policed. That's what church leadership is for, that's what the word of God is for, to police you. Hey, you're going too fast. I know where you're trying to go. I know where you're trying to get to. But there's a reason that this turn is 45 and not 75. Because if you take this turn too fast, you'll fall off this road. So you got to slow it down and make this turn. People don't want to hear that. There's a reason you got to stop here, because there's traffic that goes this way. So we put a stop sign here to make you safe, not to make it longer for you to get to where you're trying to go, but to keep you safe and to keep everybody else in this path safe. 
And what we do is we decide from one day to the next which rule of the path we're going to follow. If I'm feeling good, I'll, I'll, I'll pay attention to it. But if I'm in a hurry because my bills are piling up or my pride is getting in the way, you know, I'm turning a new age and I feel like I should have this, that, and the third, and I don't have it yet, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump out and do this thing or do that thing, and I'm going to hope God blesses it. So I'm going to cut through the woods where the bears are, but God has a path that is blessed. How long it takes shouldn't be an issue. Am I on the blessed path? So when we talk about the blessing, we can't divorce it from the order of the direction God has put you in. You can't divorce the blessing because the blessing is not on everything. It's on what God has blessed. Your goal, your focus should be, Lord, I'm on this path because this is the path you want me to be on. Now, once I know the path that I'm supposed to be on, I'm not getting off of it. Nothing is knocking me off that path. Nothing is going to prevent me from getting to that destination. Well, how long is that trip? It doesn't matter. I'm on the right road. We take road trips every now and then, me and my wife. Sometimes the, the drive is three hours. Sometimes it's five hours. Sometimes it's eight hours. Okay? But if we know we're going in the right direction, we're just counting the hours. We're not worried about whether we're going to get there. We can, you know, we got these GPS now, you know, Google Maps and all that. It'll tell you the time you're going to show up. And a lot of times we want to Google Maps for our spiritual life. We want to Google Maps for our manifestations. You want to know by such and such date you will have arrived at this location. Because, but that's not faith. That's flesh. The flesh want to know everything. Faith just needs to know God. Faith just needs to know, oh, is this the right path? Okay, I'll get there when I get there. Because the journey with God is just as important and just as fulfilling as the destination. But we, we discount the journey because we're not sure we're on the right path or not. So the only way we really think we'll know we're on the right path is if we happen to get where we think we should be. We think we're supposed to be a certain place, so we're waiting to see that before we know we did it right. And you're supposed to know 20 hours before you get there that you're on the right path. If you've ever been on a long road trip, you're supposed to know when you leave your house which direction you're going, what path you're on. And if that's the path you're supposed to be on, you're going to stay on that path. The, the, the fortitude of faith, the steadfastness of faith, the thing that makes you stand and plant, that patience. Now, that's where patience comes in because patience is like cement. It locks you down in one spot and won't let you move. And that patience comes from that knowing that I'm on the right path. So if there's traffic, I don't get off this road. I stay on it. If there's some kind of an issue that would try to prevent me, this is still the way to get there. And I'm not getting off of it. Many Christians don't know the path. They're just waiting to get to some place that they think they want to be at. And because of that, they don't have enough patience to stick out the traffic, to stick out the turns. Because if I'm driving, my wife is navigating because she, you know, she'll have a map on her phone and she'll be looking at it. And I'm sort of 
funny about not being able to see the screen because in time past, she's missed a few terms. On our honeymoon, five hour drive, very first time on a road trip together, she got us a little lost. Now you know, Google Maps is good at redirecting you, but ever since then I've had a trust issue with her navigating. So what I try, <laughs> I try to see the screen to make sure I'm on that little blue line, because I, I know if I'm on that blue line, I'm all right, right? So I'll constantly nag her, am I still on that blue line? Still in that blue line, she'd be like, yes, we're going to be on this blue line for the next 100 miles. 50 miles then, I'm going to ask her, am I still on that blue line? Because sometimes the line, you know, that's me. But that's because all I care about is that blue line. I know I'm going to get there because the blue line ends up right at the front door of wherever we're going. So all I care about, am I on that blue line? That's it. Everything else will take care of itself. That's what the blessing feels like. Hey, I'm on the blue line, so I'm going to get there. If I get there in a year, if I get there in 100 years, I'm on the blue line. I'm going to get there. That's where your peace comes from. That's where your patience comes from. That's where your, your faith comes from. But if you don't know you're on the blue line, you're always looking over to make sure, because you don't trust who you're, who's in the, the car with you, you're going to have a problem. And many of us experience that problem, myself included because you're not really sure that you're on the blue line. But then there's that moment. There's some things, let me take a sip of water because I'm about to go in on this one. There's some things you know. There's some things that you just know are yours. There's some things that you just know belong to you. There are some things that you just know you're supposed to have, places you're supposed to go. That's your blue line. And can't nobody take you off that line. See, I've been in that kind of fight before, more than once. And every time I got that level of knowing, I got exactly what I went after. If I didn't have that level of knowing, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. It's iffy. But when you, there's some things that you just know you will not give up. There are some things that are encoded into your identity. Let's go to a scripture that I've kind of crossed over into this sewing thing, so we might as well just keep going. Let's see, where do I want to go? Somebody find me, because I'm going to go to one place, and I want somebody else to go to the other place. The parable of the sower, that's where I want to go there. But I'm drawing a blank on the scripture because my notes have flipped. So the first person to find it is going to get $20. Okay, I got it. <laughs> that don't count for... <laughs> checks in the mail, Pastor. Checks in the mail. Nah, I, get, yeah, you, I, I give you $20 right there. There you go. <laughs> Mark chapter 4. Y'all... I'm going to hope that I stay in Scripture the rest of the night because that was my last $20 bill I had in my pocket. <laughs> rest of y'all getting checks, but they're good checks. I promise you they're good. Mark chapter 4. <laughs> I had more cash when I got here. I promise you I did. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 3. Hearken, behold, the one out of sower to sow. And it came to pass, this is Jesus talking because it's in red. As he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. There's that devourer again. Why did the devourer devour the seed that fell by the wayside? Because it wasn't in the, the seed was not in the place it was supposed to be. So it was susceptible to being devoured. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. Mark chapter 4, verse 6. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth, some 30, some 60, and some 100. Now, obviously, we all want to be that good ground. We all want our seed to go into that good ground. Now, I've heard this, this parable used in more than one way where sowing is concerned. But let's look at it based on what Jesus is teaching. Because anytime you teach the word or you hear the word taught, okay, it's important that you can find the original meaning in the scripture. Because one of the beautiful things about the Bible is that a lot of it is written in a way that can be very poetic because God loves poetry. And things were written and said in a certain way that the meaning can have layers. And sometimes good preaching gets into one layer at the expense of the other layers. And then they stay in that layer so long that that's all you learn about that scripture. And then you miss the entirety of the meaning of that scripture. It's not intentional. It just happens. It just happens. So when I read the word, when I study the word, that's why if you read a, a, a familiar or popular or famous part of the Bible, read the chapter before it and after it. It's just a good habit to have because you've got to find the context in which it was said. And a lot of times you'll find that in the chapter before or after. In Jesus' case, sometimes it's two or three chapters because he's got these long messages. See, Jesus was a long preacher. That's why I like Jesus. I like him for other reasons, too, but he was a long preacher. You know, he preached when he was done. They didn't have no clocks back then, so you just looked at the sun. He preached from the sun up to the sun down. I like that. One of these days, I'm going to get to do that. Not tonight, but one of these days, I'm going to get to preach as long as Jesus preached. It's going to be amazing. And by the time I'm done, somebody be walking on water. That's what I hope. But anyway, what is the parable of the sower about? We know it's about sowing and reaping. But what manner of sowing and reaping? Is it financial sowing and reaping? Is it healing? What is it? Well, Jesus goes on to teach that it's about sowing the word into the heart. We've been taught well about that. So I'm not going to spend too much time going into the details of all the different hearts because that isn't really the focus that I want to spend on it. Here's what I want to get. We've been in this prosperity culture lesson. We've been talking about developing a prosperity culture. And a, developing a prosperity culture ultimately means developing a prosperous heart. The heart is where prosperity begins and ends. All giving of any nature, but let's just say financial, because that's kind of what we're, everybody's thinking about, and that's kind of where we are. All giving, whether it's tithing, sowing, love giving, or alms giving, begins and ends in the heart. The greatest flaw I've seen with people who sow, and I'm using the word sow specifically because some of you sow seed. You say, this is seed. 
I'm sowing this seed for X, Y, and Z. This is a seed that I'm sowing to receive a particular thing. Some of you sow and don't reap. And you say, well, my harvest hasn't come yet. But some of you have been sowing for a long time and have needed your harvest for a while, and you still haven't gotten it. And you're wondering why. If you're not wondering why, you should be. Because when a farmer farms and he don't get a crop, he goes and finds out why. He don't just go, well, maybe next year. No. You are not supposed to sow without a harvest. You should never sow and not know your harvest has come. You should never sow and not know my harvest has come. And you should be able to identify this is the harvest of this seed. I sowed this. This is the harvest. We're talking about sowing tonight. Absent of that, you're not really sowing. You're just sort of scattering. You're not sowing if you don't have specific details. Now, love giving, giving an offering is different. We talked about that. That comes from a different motivation, and it has a different rate of return. We talked about how giving of love brings grace. Now, it can also bring financial return, but oftentimes, more times than not, it brings a grace which yields a financial return. You can give into someone and receive the grace that's on them. You can give into a ministry and receive the grace that's on that ministry. And if that grace is prosperous, you will prosper. I'm not talking about giving an offering. I'm talking about sowing a seed. Sowing a seed is a process that begins with knowing what your harvest is supposed to be. Now, where do I find out where my harvest is supposed to be? Well, a lot of us identify our seed by our need. We say, oh, I have this debt coming up that needs to be paid. Or I have this issue going on that I need so much money, I need $1,000 to pay this. And I don't have it, but I have this money. I'm going to sow this seed for the $1,000 to pay that off. Or, I, or I'm going to sow for it to be paid off. So those are two different harvests. You don't know which one you're you believing for. You don't know which one you want. You can't sow for, if you're going to sow $100, you got to say, I need $1,000 or I need this thing paid off. But pick one. And the reason why I say pick one is because you got to know what you're looking for. Somebody might go in and pay it off for you, and you don't get $1,000 in your hand, but your debt has been canceled. Or someone might hand you $1,000 to pay that debt off, but you need to choose. Now, why can we be choosy like that? Because of what you're actually sowing. You're not sowing money. Jesus says the sower soweth the word. Where does the sower sow the word? The sower sows the word into the heart. The physical act of sowing money is not when your seed is sown. The physical act of sowing money represents the seed sown into the heart. It's a necessary action in the natural, but it's mirroring the word you've sown in your heart. If you're sowing money, that is not a mirror of word already sown in your heart. You're not going to get a harvest, and you're not going to know why. When I sow a seed for a specific thing, I've already got that harvest in my heart before money leaves my pocket. 
That's why every single time I sow, I get exactly what I sowed for. It's supposed to be repeatable. It's not supposed to be random. I want to make this clear. It is not supposed to be random. But what happens is we are random on the most important side of it. And that's the word sown. We don't sow the word into the soil of our heart until a harvest comes. We sow money into a person and then wait to see what happens. But the harvest of the word sown in the heart breeds the financial sowing. Now, I'm trying to be as technical as possible because what I want you to start getting are repeatable results. It should, I love testimony service. I love when you give a testimony of God's goodness and his blessing. We should, we should do that. We should share that. But it shouldn't be every, every other six months or so. It, not considering how much you sow. Now, I give as an act of love, and I walk in the grace of the people that I give to. I don't necessarily give a testimony every time that happens because that's a continual thing, right? I'm continually walking in the grace of those that I give to. But when I have a specific need and a specific seed to address it, that is a technical process that is repeatable, and you're going to know when it happens. Because I can tell you, if I so choose, I'm sowing for that. And because I've sown it, it will happen. But by the time you see money leave my hand, I already have it in my spirit. And I don't touch my money until my spirit has it. Because everything that happens in the natural reflects what's happened in the spirit. So if I'm not going to give a wayside seed toss in my soul, in my spirit, in my heart, I'm not going to give a wayside seed toss with my money. And some of you are sowing by the wayside, not because you're giving it to the wrong people, but because it's not connected to your heart. Or it is connected to your heart, but your heart isn't done. That's a better way to put it, because all giving is connected to your heart. Every, every dollar that comes out of your pocket is connected to your heart in some way. And I can prove it to you, because if I stole it from you, you get mad. <laughs> the emphasis of sowing begins with sowing the word into the heart. Because what I've seen, especially with baby Christians, and even I like to use the word mature Christian because maturity, does, age don't mean maturity in the kingdom of God. Age just means old. So what I mean by older Christians is Christians who've been saved a long time but are still at the baby level of understanding. One of the biggest things I've seen is when you ask them what scripture are you standing on, they can't tell you. Or they quote some verse that they've heard Pastor Diana preach on or they've heard me preach on and they just kind of quote it, but it's not who they are. It's not them. It's not their blue line. It's just, well, we know it's true, but it's not you. See, you sow. Jesus said that where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is. Okay? You can flip that around and say where a man's heart is, that's where his treasure is. Same thing. So I can tell your heart by your treasure, right? 
But what Jesus was saying is we sow ourselves when we sow our money. Whatever condition we are in when we sow, that's what we're sowing. So if we focus on the condition of our heart when we, prior to sowing, our seed will be as effective as the condition of our heart. Evidence of this is the warfare you get when you sow something properly. The devil comes after everything that'll damage your heart. He'll remind you of past hurts and have you mad about stuff that ain't happened in 10 years. He'll have that ex call you that you ain't seen since you've been married, and all of a sudden they want to come yell at you about something. He'll have your kids act crazy. He'll have your boss at your job yell at you. He's messing with your heart. He's not messing with your seed. He's not messing with your financial seed, rather. He's not messing with your money. He don't come jack me and Pastor Diana up, try to get the money that, because that's, that's not where the money is. That's not where the seed is. If you sow $100 into Pastor Diana, and the devil wants to stop your harvest, he don't go rob Pastor Diana for $100, like it was never sown. He comes after your heart. He comes after your heart, because that's where the seed is. The $100 you sold in the past of Diana is just a representation of your heart. It's the physical, it's the flesh of your spirit. Just like your spirit lives in flesh, and everything that your flesh does is an extension of what's going on in your spirit, your sowing is the same way. It's an extension of the sowing you've already done in your spirit. It's simple, but it's profound. Because what we're doing is we're coming up with sums of money and thinking, I'm going to give a bigger seed. Don't get me wrong. I like big giving. I'm a big giver. But if it doesn't match the condition of your heart, you're going to be waiting a while. You might not get it at all. And the reason is, is because you didn't actually sow it. Because sowing begins in the heart. And here's the thing. You get it right once. You're going to do it again, and again, and again, and again. Many, a, a greedy preacher would just tell you to give more money. That'd be the easiest thing to tell you. You didn't give enough. Just do it some more. A greedy preacher would tell you that. But a right preacher, like the ones here at Rapture, want you to get a manifestation. And we don't want you to get it to prove us right. We already know we right. Because it works for us. We're not asking for your money. It works for us. And when something works, we want everybody to work it. But we need you to get consistent results. We need it to be consistent. Because as you grow, your giving will grow. And your receiving will grow. You see, one of the problems you have with receiving, and if I'm not talking about you, this ain't you, but assume it's you to, to prove it otherwise. One of the problems you have with receiving is because your identity hasn't changed. Your identity hasn't changed. And the only thing that changes your identity is the word sown into your heart every single day. It's the white book all over again. I told you about this white book. If you ain't got a white book by now, you, you, you're sleeping on, on one of the most important elements of Christianity. And that's having the word in front of your eyes and in your mouth every single day. It has to be more consistent than breathing itself. You're not going to feel like doing it. That's okay. You do it anyway. 
you're not gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get almost to bedtime and forget. Do it before you go to bed. But get it in. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because that's how your identity changes. And as your identity changes, your standard changes. And as your standard changes, what you're willing to receive will change. And what you're willing to receive will determine what you're able to receive. Some of you have sown seed for things you don't have the identity to receive. Because who you'd have to be to receive it, you, you're not that person yet. Because you haven't let the word transform you in that area. Because you haven't put enough of that word in you consistently enough, consistently enough at a high enough level for your identity to change in that area. So if God were to bring you the harvest you say you believe in for, you wouldn't even be able to receive it. You don't think on a high enough level. And it's not because you're incapable. It's because you can't teach a horse to fly. You can push him out the nest, he'll fall. If you can fit him in a nest. You can't teach something that's not able to fly to fly. But if I can turn you into an eagle, you'll fly all day. Horses don't even get mad that they can't fly. Because flight isn't in them. It's not a part of their identity. They're happy on the ground. They're a scared, a scared, what country is that? They're afraid to be in the air. I have a tortoise. He's a ground animal. He, he lives on his belly close to the ground. He's a reptile. And on his belly, he does crawl. And when you pick him up without supporting the bottom side of his shell, he flips out. Because they don't like their belly to not be touching the ground. It's unnatural to them. They crack, they scratch, and they claw, and they bite until you put them down or you put your hand under the shell. Because they got to feel something on their belly. Because when they get eaten by birds, that's how birds grab them and pick them up, right? And they're dumb. They can't tell it's a human. But because they're terrestrial animals, they got to feel the earth beneath them at all times. They don't have good hearing. They sense vibration through the ground. It affects them. But that's a tortoise. Now, a bird does not have that problem. Put a burr on the ground, and if he can fly, if his wings work, he's trying to get off the ground every chance he can. The weirdest thing for me is to see birds get hit by cars. Because if I was a bird, I would never get hit by a car. Now I might get hit by a plane. But you'd never see me on the ground. But see, I'm a human who can't fly. Bird probably get tired and be like, man, I love to walk. Just like we say, I love to fly. Who knows? Here's what I do know. You wouldn't see me get hit by a car if I could fly. Just what happened? But that is because identity determines what you can and will receive. Identity. And your identity is a direct product of what you feed your spirit every single day. Not what you get in church. This is an hour twice a week. It's not enough. It's important. It's extremely important. But it's not enough. If you go to the gym for two hours a week, you will not get in shape. You'll feel better 
than if you don't go at all. That's true. You will feel better. Over a long span of time, you'll feel better. Most of that is mental because you're doing something. And you go, well, something's better than nothing. And you were absolutely right. I'm not discouraging anybody that's starting out. Start where you are. If you're going to do 10 minutes a week, it's better than zero minutes a week. But if you're trying to get in shape, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have to train at least five days a week. Because that's how the body is built. There's a level of results you just won't get on two hours a week. It's impossible. You can't train but so hard in an hour. You can't take three days off, come back, do that again, and get the kind of results you think you're going to get. Your body is not built that way. You have to have a healthy lifestyle. Well, your body is the same as your spirit. It's consistency. It's repetition. It's quality that matters. See, what happens when you do anything consistently enough is you become that thing. And then when you become that thing, what you sow reflects what you are. My seed is an extension of me. When I sow a seed, I'm not giving money to somebody. I'm putting a part of myself into a spiritual vessel. And I'm going to yield a result. I'm going to yield a harvest. My seed is extremely important to me. Because whatever I'm believing for, I had to labor over it in the spirit for a season before it came out of my pocket. Now, sometimes, depending on where you are, depending on how consistently you are and where your identity is, you can sow a seed you weren't planning on sowing right then. I've sat in a many a service where the Lord said, hey, sow this. And I didn't have time to pray on it. But that's because of where God, God would have had me. I'll give you a perfect example. A few years ago, you know, we go to camp meeting every year. We go to camp meeting every year. And at this point, I was trying to make a transition in my business, and it was going to be an expensive transition. And I didn't have the money. But I was in the white book every single day, just confessing the word, praying and believing. And the Lord had me take 30 days and just go in the cave. I talked about the cave, right? And I was just in the cave, man. And it was, it happened to be that 30 days before camp meeting. Camp meeting came around and you know all these men and women of God come in for camp meeting and people are just running up and throwing money at them. And I had put something in the envelope because I always put something in the offering when I go to camp meeting. That's what you're supposed to do. But I had a little money left on me, and the Lord said, sow that seed. Now, I was so transformed by that point that I didn't need to pray or take a long time to go back and deliberate on it. I was moving in an identity that God had transformed me into that I wasn't even aware of. The only thing left for me to do was to put that seed in. Soon as I did that, boom. Within... 24 hours of that camp meeting, and I got a record of it. I got a text message, and it's funny, because now that I think about it, the very same thing is happening to me right now, just on a higher level. So that's not coincidence. I told you it's repeatable. 
I got a text message offering me what I have now at a cost drastically less than what I would have to pay. And at the same time, within 30 days of that offer, I took the offer right away because it was on my list of things I was believing for. But not only did I take that offer, and I don't have time to give you all the details, but not only did I take that offer, my business grew to such a degree that by 2020, now this was 2018 or 19, 19, 18 or 19, 19, this was 2019. In 2020, my business income, it increased to such a degree, I had the best year, at this point I had been in business for several years, I had the best year of my entire business at the height of the recession from Corona, when everything else was shut down, I made more money in 2020. What's funny, not funny, but what's interesting is that everybody that got a stimulus check spent their entire stimulus check on me, and I didn't get one. I made so much money in 2020, I had to put myself on a payroll. I was able to buy all new equipment all in one year, but I was a different person. Now I'm operating on this level, and that was 2020. Now it's 2022, and the Lord reminds me to go back to the white book. And now I'm in the exact same situation that I was in two years ago, and it's working the exact same way, where I had developed that identity and perfected it. Now he says your identity has to change again. It has to evolve. You can't be that guy anymore. Now I got to move you to a new level. And it, he didn't start me with money. He started me with the white book. Because now he's got to find, I've got to find, he, does, he knows where I am. I've got to find the new me in the same old scriptures. And when identity changes, what you're willing to go after changes. And what you're willing to accept changes. And what you're will, where you're willing to stand changes. Because you got a new blue line. See, I rolled the last blue line all the way to the front door of where I am now. But now I got a new blue line. And I'm going to stay on that line until I get there. That's how you grow spiritually. Every seed I sow is from that identity. It's not from the old guy. The old guy was great. I loved him. But this guy, this guy you've never met. I'm just meeting him, and I like him too. When I talk to younger Christians, younger in spiritual age, who haven't been saved that long or haven't been churched well or whatever the case may be, I'm very heavy on you got to put a lot of scripture in you early. Don't come to me and ask for any advice because I'm going to give you a whole bunch of scripture. If, you're not a, if you are not a man or a woman of the word, don't talk to me. One of my confessions is I am a man of the word. I'm going to fill up on all kinds of scripture. I'll give you 20 verses for any problem you bring me. I'll go look them up. I'll give you the first set. Now, you bring me problem number two, you find them. I'll point you in the right direction, but you find them. Because that's how you grow. You go in the Bible and look for, what, for, look for yourself in there and then put it in your mouth. Your marriage, your finances, your job, your health, your mind, your body, whatever. 
Whatever you think needs to change is in that book. But we don't spend as much time in that book as we spend in the struggle of the world. And then we try to give a little money to get out of it. Look, I like money. I don't have a problem with money. I don't love it, because that's the root of all evil, the love of it. But I like it. I like having money. I like spending money. I need to learn to like saving money. My wife, my wife is a better saver than I am. She is. Now, I save money. I have a good savings. But my wife is a better saver. But I think that's because she has me. It's easy to save when you're not really spending that much money. Her saving habits <laughs> depend on somebody else because we don't spend any less money. We just spend mine. I've noticed my mother is a great saver. But she had my dad for 40 years. It's easy to save your money. I was much better at saving when I was a kid because half the stuff I needed, somebody else was paying for. So I'm noticing a parallel there, you know. But I'm, 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 I'm getting better at saving. But I like money. Money's fun. It's not supposed to be scary because it's so weak and so ineffective without you behind it. You shouldn't be afraid of it. But people are afraid of it because they've been trained to fear it. More people are afraid of being rich than they are of being poor because nobody judges you when you're poor. Nobody will require anything of you when you're poor. Nobody expects anything from you when you're poor. Poverty is the best excuse for not being generous. It's the best excuse for showing up late. It's the best excuse for being sick. When you want an excuse for all your problems, you can blame it on poor. That's what. There are government parties, I won't name any, that blame so much of society's woes on poverty. The crime rate in this city is so high because of so much poverty. That's not why the crime is high. You can be poor and, and be a good citizen. You don't have to rob people because you can't eat. Just starve. You rob people because you rob people. You won't stop robbing people because you get enough money. That's not why you murdered somebody. You murder somebody because you have no values. There's a lot of poor people that ain't never murdered nobody. So don't use that. But you, you, you steal the Christian values out of a society. Poverty's going to follow, but it's not the cause of the crime. It's just, it's more of an effect of the crime. Because when you have high crime, wealthy people leave. And when they leave, they take their knowledge with them. And they take their culture with them. And that's why you have poverty and crime in the same place everywhere. Because wisdom brings wealth. Good nature, good character brings wealth. And good character people all live in the wealthy areas. And that's what, that's what happens. It always begins on the inside. It always begins in the heart. And it'll always end in the heart. But you have politicians who will tell you that Poverty can be blamed on so many, so many things can be blamed on poverty. I'm here to tell you the only thing that can be blamed on poverty is poor. Because you can give a poverty, you can give an impoverished man money and he'll kill himself with it. You can give someone whose soul has not prospered money and they will kill themselves with it or destroy somebody else. There's a lot of money in the hood. It's billions of dollars in the ghetto. 
but there are no billionaires in the ghetto. Because a billionaire is who you are. It's not how much money you have. All the billionaires move away from the ghetto. And they usually do it before they make their first billion. If you ever notice, anybody who made a billion dollars, or even a million dollars, they get out the hood before they make it. Because they don't want to be around poor people. Not people without money, people with no, prosperous, with no prosperity in their soul. Amen. When you sow, you are sowing your soul. You're sowing this in here. You're sowing the nature of your heart. And left unattended, your seed has no power. It has no name. When you go to sow something, you need to know what you're receiving, right? When you go plant watermelon seed, you expect watermelon. How do you know to expect watermelon? Because you see watermelon on that package before you put that seed in the ground. And I'll say this. You desire watermelon before you even bothered buying the seed. You've never planted and watered and protected and irrigated and built and hedged around a crop of something you didn't want. Too much work to receive if you don't want it. And what you want is a part of your identity. My wife loves watermelon. I can take it or leave it. I'm more of a pineapple guy. I got a pineapple at home. I can't wait to get home and watch her cut because I don't cut them. I just eat them. But she can eat watermelon every day. That's part of who she is. Left to her own devices, there will be watermelon and crabs in the house 24 hours a day. Those are two things I can feed her any time of the year, any day, and she'll be happy. I know this. We go out to eat. I don't care how expensive the restaurant is. She wants the crab cake. She wants the lobster bisque with the crab in it. She wants the crab cake. And then she wants a creme brulee for dessert. So she gets the same order at every restaurant. <laughs> I was like, we could go. It, it bothers me because I like to explore things. Nope, she would get the crab cake if they sell it. Unless, unless it's not good, then she would get something else. If it's not good, she's going to get shrimp. Because you really can't mess up shrimp. Shrimp is her number two. She's going to eat shrimp if she can't have crab. If she can have both, she's going to have both. She's expensive to eat with. She picks no cheap meats. I've never seen her order chicken a day been <laughs> married seven years. She will not order the chicken. I try to lean her towards it. I try to lean, you know, I'll order the chicken. I'll say, well, let me get the chicken. Put some bacon on it. I'm trying to be fancy. Put some bacon on it. You know, wrap it in bacon. I'll have the lobster, put the shrimp, and the crab. She picks the most expensive meats. If McDonald's sells lobster, She's going to go to McDonald's and get the lobster instead of the dollar menu Big Mac. That's just how she rolls, right? I've learned this about her. If I ask what you want right now, I pro there's crab legs in the freezer. Promise you that. What was I talking about? Who she is, who you are. Your desire determines how hard you're willing to work to receive something. And your desire is a product of your identity. She eats that way because she believes she's, well, she's supposed to eat that way. So when we go out, here's the thing. She don't ever, she's, I can't remember the last time she's asked me, babe, what's our budget? We're going out. Because if I say we're going out, she just assumes that anything on the menu we can get. 
And if for some reason we can't get it, I got to kick her, babe, no. And then she's going to look at me like, and then I have to acquiesce and get it anyway. We'll figure out the gas when we're on the way home. I'm just <laughs> I just learned, you know, you got to have a certain budget when you go out with certain people. She's one of those people, right? I think that's, what, that's part of what women are for, I think. Because we can eat ramen every night, put a little hamburger on it, and think we cook, you know? <laughs> Most men, anyway. But that's an identity. She likes certain things. That's going to be who she is. When we get to heaven, she's going to look for it. Okay, so, when, so what is she willing to do to have it? What am I willing to do to give it to her? The, the work that goes into receiving. Because we don't even know how to receive well, because we, you don't receive outside of your identity. You don't. And that was a good nugget. I don't know if you got it or not. But you never receive outside of your identity. If I offer you something that's not, that you don't think is for you, you won't take it. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how good it is. I could offer everybody in here six-pack abs right now. Here's the secret. Eat less than you burn. Train six days a week for five years. Track your macronutrients efficiently and make sure you hit them every day. And in five years, you'll have six-pack abs. Problem solved. Everybody in here that's going to be alive in five years can have six-pack abs. But I promise you, everybody in here in five years will not have six-pack abs. And here's why. Because day four, your identity is going to say, I'm more of a couch potato. I like Netflix. Your identity is going to get in the way, not your ability. Amen. Your identity that has been trained to be kind of chubby. You know, I, I had a bad identity. I'm working my identity out. Because see, when I go to the gym, I think I look like the buffest dude in the gym. I'm not training my body from the outside. I'm training it from the inside. Inside of me is a really in shape dude. And I'm cutting him out of the previous guy. The old guy from two years ago had a different identity. And he tried to get people to, to accept it. I done talked up all my time. Y'all just let me go. But who I am now is not I took a day off last week and just laid on the couch and felt so good for a little while. But by the end of the night, I said, I can't do that again. Because I miss being active. I'm an active person now. I never thought I'd say that. I'm active. Like, I enjoy being active, right? I love getting out and running and riding my bike and doing pull-ups and all that stuff. I enjoy exercise. I, I, I get up in the morning. I can't wait to do it. I feel bad if I don't get a chance. That's who I am. That's who I am. Your seed, I'm closing. Your seed is who you are in money form. So if you want your seed money to be effective, change who you are with the word before you sow it. And it will reap for you. If you are getting nothing back now, it's because you ain't sold nothing yet. I don't care how much money you've given away. You have not sown until you've sown the word. Amen?